This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season, we bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple-maker. Today's podcast features the Relational Discipleship Network, RDN for short, and their track about five key components of a disciple-making church. One of the RDN board members, Brandon Gindon, has taken the key components from this track and put them through the filter of disciple-making culture. He put this together in a book form, and it's called Disciple-Making Culture. The subtitle is Cultivate Thriving Disciple-Makers Throughout Your Church. This is a discipleship.org resource, and you can find the link to buy this book through our website. But we wanted you to know that we've created a free visual intro to this book that you can download for free. Just go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. The book offers you practical guidance on changing the culture at your church into a church that's focused on disciple making, where it's something you are, not just something you do. So get the free primer to this resource at discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. The episode from RDN today is called Reproducible Disciple Making Process, My Part, Their Part, and God's Part, featuring Jim Putman, Brandon Gindon, Bob Reed, and Luke Yetter. Here it is. I want to welcome everybody. Thank you for being here. You should be at this session, session four the reproducible disciple-making process. We're going to walk through my part, their part, God's part. My name is Luke Yetter. I get the privilege of running our network, the Relational Discipleship Network. I also have been a pastor at Real Life Ministries in Pulse Falls, Idaho, for the last 11 years. And so it's a pleasure and an honor to get to do this. And so I want to say thank you for picking this track. This is our fourth track. So I'm going to recap a couple of the other ones because it'll set a little bit of a a background. In session one, we cover biblical foundation for relationship, spiritual maturity. What is it? How do you define it? The reason I'm mentioning that one particularly is because when we jump into the disciple making process, we're coming from the viewpoint that relationship is critical in creating a relational environment, from being an intentional leader, but how you're defining maturity and where do you see relationship with God, loving God and loving others is going to play out hugely in the disciple-making process, okay? Second session we covered is being an intentional leader. Jesus was very intentional about investing into his disciples. When it comes to a relational environment, Jesus was very intentional about creating a relational environment. We covered those three yesterday. So today we're diving into the reproducible disciple-making process. All right. So here's the format. Jim's going to go about 15 minutes just kind of lay, lay a foundation. It's hard to cover everything in 15 minutes, obviously. Uh, Brandon is going to go the next 15 minutes. And then you guys at your table have these three by five kind of blank cards. We're going to open it up to kind of some live Q&A. And we're going to write down your cards, bring them up. We'll kind of go through them. We also might have time to throw some questions out to you guys as well as we read these cards. But I really want to collect the cards, get your questions answered as best as possible. All right. You also see this on your table. If you have this, this is, if you have any interest in taking next steps in this direction, we've got a few, a few things on here. Uh, Church planner boot camp, 
coaching, uh, some training, some two-day training stuff we can talk through. But raise your hand if you don't have one of these. Okay, Eric, up there on the back, up there, down. Keep your hand up if you would. If you need one, that'll be helpful. Mark will come around and find you. All right. So let me introduce Jim Putman. Jim planted uh, Real Life Ministries in Pulse Falls, Idaho, about 19 years ago. And just started as a small group of people. And God really grew it. Jim was being as intentional as he could to invest and disciple people. And it really took off, became one of the fastest growing churches in the United States and planted a variety of other disciple-making churches from that view, from that experience. Jim's written a variety of books. Um, Church is a Team Sport, if you haven't read that, that's a great book. Uh, Real Life Discipleship Manual is a great book. A variety of books Jim has authored. I won't say it. <laughs> So I, I worked with Jim for uh, 11 years on the staff. And so we have a, it's hard for me not to uh, kind of, you know, just have a little fun, but I'll try not to on this one too much. So Jim, here's what I'd love for you to do. Would you, would you be willing just to share, maybe lay a foundation on the disciple making process? Yeah, good morning. Luke kind of outlined for you a disciple making uh the, the components that we've gone through already, and it, it, each component is meant to be built upon the other. So it's really important that um, you you kind of catch some of that. We'll do our best to catch you up, and, and some of our books will talk about it. But when you think about disciple-making, the first thing, it makes sense, session number one is, what is a mature disciple is important to, to know, right? And Because if you're trying to make disciples but you have the wrong definition or not the definition that Jesus would have, you're making the wrong thing. Jesus talked about disciples uh, or the Pharisees doing that. They, when you make a disciple, you make more a son of hell than you yourself are, right? So you want to be, be careful that you have the right destination. It's like a journey. You want to go to the right place, right? Uh, when it comes to the intentional leader and the relational environment, we, we see that like a journey. So like the car the vehicle is a relational environment, which makes sense that if the end goal is one who loves God and loves others, is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus, all because he loves God and loves others, makes sense that it's a relational environment that gets you to becoming one who loves God and loves others, right? It's not just an informative environment. It's a relational environment because you're becoming relational. You need an intentional leader that's one who, who knows the road to get there, knows the destination, can create the relational environment to get us to where we're going. So the, the, the driver of the relational environment uh, is an intentional leader. He knows how to drive. And his goal isn't just to drive, it's to teach the people in the car to eventually drive because they're going to have their own relational environment vehicles to pick up hitchhikers along the way, family members to get to the, the end goal of maturity. Make sense to you? It's like a journey. All right. What you see here is a wheel that we've, uh, the team and I have put together. And so I want you to turn there. And I want you to take, you see where it says, uh, uh, there's four quadrants, share, connect, minister, disciple maker. I, I want you to flatten it out. It's a circle, but just imagine that you've got 
share, connect, minister, disciple. Now, you remember how um, uh, we talked about that Jesus, you, you don't divorce the teachings of Jesus from the methods of Jesus and expect to get the results of Jesus. So when we started to look at Jesus, not just his person, God in the flesh, but his, and not just his teachings, but his methods, we started looking at him as one who, yes, his first primary purpose was to come and die on the cross, but he also was, his, his, his secondary purpose was to make disciples who would be messengers that Jesus came and died on the cross. What good is it to have the greatest story ever told if there's nobody to tell the story? So Jesus is making disciples. And so as you start to look at scripture, you see how he did what he did. So what we did is we followed him as a person and went, all right, what did he do? First, he comes onto the scene and he shares who he is through his actions and his words. Of course, John the Baptist pointed to him. Spirit of God came upon him in his baptism. This is the son of God. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He, and he shared who he was, right? Those who believed he invited into connection. Share, connect. Come connect with me. Come be with me, right? And then as time went on, he, he, he connected them to God and to one another in relationship and he moved them from being self-absorbed. This is what he's trying to do. He was trying to move them from being, I want to sit at the right and the left hand. I want to be the biggest in the kingdom of heaven. His goal was to move them to be ministers of others. Share, connect, minister. That speaks of a change of heart. Right? Head, I'm going to come and follow you. Heart, I'm going to come and connect with you. And as I connect with you, Jesus, I'm going to connect with others. I'm going to move from being a taker to a minister. We've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to be not a consumer, but a servant, a minister. Share, connect, minister. Go out and make disciples. Make sense to you? So as you look at the outside of the wheel... You see, share, connect, minister, disciple. Make sense to you? Now, when the early church went out to make disciples, Acts 2, was there anything that they mimicked that Jesus did? First, they went out and preached on the day of Pentecost that Jesus, this Jesus whom you crucified was both Lord and Christ. Right? Uh, when the people heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said, brothers, what shall we do? Repent, be baptized, every one of you. And they were. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Right? But by the way, that's the key phrase. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which dictated everything they did after that. They were devoted to fellowship to breaking of bread into prayer. Why were they devoted to fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer? Because that's what the disciples' teachings said. By the way, were they told to go and make disciples baptizing and teaching? Yep. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, fellowship, prayer. So, uh, they met together in the temple courts and from house to house, connect. They shared who they were, uh, who Jesus was. They connected 
they sold their possessions and goods to give to whoever I need. Consumers start to become ministers. Is this making sense to you? The Greek widows need to be taken care of. They assigned to them a task to take care of the Greek widows. By the way, those guys who took care of the Greek widows, at one point, like Philip, he was assigned to take care of the Greek widows. But eventually he went to Samaria to make disciples. Share, connect, minister, train them for ministry. That, that doesn't mean, don't, don't think in terms of pastor teaching. Think in terms of a heart to minister to others. Share, connect, minister, disciple. Go out and make disciples. And this happened. They went to Antioch. They went to wherever. As the persecution broke out in, in Jerusalem, they went everywhere, right? You see, there, the early church understood that if I share Christ with you and you accept Christ, it's not over. Now I connect with you. And in that connection, I'm going to move you from being, if I can, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God as you do your part, or my part is to make disciples that includes sharing Christ, connecting with those who hear the message and receive it, training you to become one who loves God and loves others, ministers, and then send you out to do the same thing. Does it make sense to you? They reproduced this Jesus methodology of share, connect, minister, disciple. Share, connect, minister, disciple. Let me ask you a question. How many people in your church know it's their job to share Christ? Wherever they go. They actually know how to share Christ. They actually can have a conversation about sharing Christ. How many of your people? No, that's not for the pastor's job. That's their job. How many of your people know that if you do share Christ with somebody, your role is to connect with them in relationship? How many of your people know they need to be in connection? Fellowship. Koinonia. How many of your people know that in that connection, it's not just we gather together and have a good time together. We're all moving towards, you're going to move from being a consumer, it's about me, to I'm a minister of Christ Jesus. I'm ministering to him. I'm ministering to his people. I have gifts and abilities that God gave me to minister to others with. Rather than being consumers, i got to find a church that meets my needs, that does what I want them to do. They sing my kind of music. They take care of my kids. How many of your people know it's my job to share Connect, grow to become a minister to others. And finally, how many of your people know it's their job to actually make disciples of anybody else? Do you see the problem? So when you think about the journey, you got the destination, head, heart, hands, following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus. You've got the relational vehicle and the intentional leader and the roadmap between the destination and the vehicle is I will share, I will connect. Out of that connection, I will train them for ministry. And then at the end, I've trained them how to drive their own car so that they can make disciples too. Do you see the, the roadmap? Are you guys okay? Everybody all right? Do you understand why it's important that your people, your people, here's what they were told. 
Repent, be baptized, every one of you. Here's a Bible, a track, pray a little prayer, maybe get wet. Come to church. And hopefully as I preach to you, you might become a minister at some point. As I talk to you about it from the stage, not interact with you, not relate with you, not connect with you, not have private conversations with you, not inspire you, challenge you, model for you. Just come to church. I'll talk about it on the stage. And I won't even actually share that the discipleship process is share, connect, minister, disciple. If you're really spiritual, I'll let you watch the children in the nursery and maybe be an usher. Everybody okay? I am three minutes and 23 seconds early. It is a record. I don't even know. Are you going to be okay? You, you, can you feel the time? All right. I'll figure it out. Wow. We just had a first. This is a first. What is today's date? Wow. So, all right. Mr. Brandon Gindon. What I love about Brandon, Brandon has a heart to make disciples. He went and planted a church. He was one of our executive pastors at Real Life Ministries, also over our small groups, and passionate about raising up leaders to really understand this disciple-making process. What did Jesus do with his disciples, and how do we model the same thing? So Brandon uh, and Jim wrote a workbook, the Real Life Discipleship Manual. It's in there. It helps break down this process a little bit further. But if you guys want, if you put on that Next Steps card, if you put your email address, we'll email you a digital copy of this so you don't have to try to remake it because we get so many requests. So if you want, put your email on there. Leave that, leave that Next Steps thing on the table. We'll, we'll, we'll email the, the digital to you. Brandon planted a church in Tomball, Texas about three years ago. And what was cool about that, instead of starting with a Sunday service, Brandon and his core team just started walking out. What does it look like to lead somebody to the Lord? What does it look like to create a relational environment? What does it look like to be an intentional leader? And what does it look like to have a target of going after making mature disciple makers? And so that, that, that group grew People came to know the Lord. People started investing in one another. And then 12 months later, they launched a service. Well, when you do it that way, it's really kind of cool. It's, it's slow. It's painful because finances, you're not, you're not collecting a tithe for 12 months. So that's very challenging. However, what's been really cool is to see the fruit of that, of that church growing and people able to, when they come to a Sunday service, they can get plugged into a relational environment because people already understand how to, what does it look like to be a disciple and make disciples. And so, Brandon, I want to say thanks for taking your time and patience and doing it that way. And I think God's really blessed it. So please be willing to please jump, jump in. Thanks, Luke. Um, <clears throat> I am, am passionate about this because um, when I, every time I look at the wheel, um, I see my own life up there. You know, when I first started out at Real Life Ministries and was meeting in small group with a couple of guys with Jim, um, I was working in the secular world and was not in ministry and some guys at real life at the very beginning poured into my life and, and I can look up there and, and, and see exactly how God used the process of disciple making to change my life. 
So if you know, like Luke's story, my, my story, if you're here yesterday and her Luke's, um, it, it's not from a theoretical place. It's from a very practical, this is what we went through. And as Jim said, when you look in the scriptures, you see this process and, and as, uh, as real life grew, we knew we had to put this down into some kind of format to where we go, well, what did we see Jesus do? And uh, what, what do we see a person grow? How do they grow in Christ as they um, are a disciple and learn how to make disciples? This, this process, as Luke said, became you know, very evident for me even more so when we're planning a church and we have folks that are joining us that had never even knew what a disciple looked like or how to make a disciple. Um, I don't know if you all will remember uh, two years ago, um, Hurricane Harvey uh, hit the Houston area. And, um, you know, I grew up in northern Idaho in the Rocky Mountains. And, you know, we saw snow. We saw some weather once in a while. But I had never seen anything like this. I mean, uh, uh, to be in the middle of a hurricane was unbelievable to be just, whoa, was that different? We got 58 inches of rain in 48 hours. It was incredible. At our church, we were, we were one year, year and a half in, and the people all around us were everywhere from nine feet of water to one foot of water. It was, it was incredible. And so we started to get names and hear about people that were hurting. And, and so we put some teams together and went out and started help, uh, kind of mucking out houses and, and just helping people. And the very first house that I, that I went to, we went to help this, this family. And the guy was standing in the front yard when we got there. And he's kind of cleaning out some of the stuff that had been, had been damaged. And, and we helped him. And, and uh, after we were done, I'm kind of helping him air out their house and those things. Um, I had a conversation with him and I just really felt the Lord kind of working on my heart towards him. And I said, Hey, I said, we, every once in a while, we get a group of guys together. Why don't you come hang out with us? He's like, yeah, yeah, we'll see, you know, whatever. A couple of weeks later, I called him. I said, Hey, I said, Greg, why don't you come over and hang out? I've got some guys in my house. Love to just hang out with you. And so Greg came over. And we began to get to know each other and spend some time together. And anytime I'd have a group of guys over to my house from the church, I would invite him. And Greg just came over and started to get to know people. And then pretty soon, eventually, I invited he and his wife to come to our small group. And they came. People got to know them. And eventually, one day, I about fell over. I saw this guy walk through the doors of our church. And he started to visit on Sunday. And I'll never forget it. One day he said to me, he goes, I've got questions for you. And there'd been a lot of hurt in his life towards the church. But we were doing life together. And I began to disciple him and spend time with him. He didn't know that's what I was doing. He couldn't have put those words to it right then and there. But we were building a relationship that eventually led to, in fact, one of my favorite parts with Greg is I, I had never even said to him, hey, you need to re receive Jesus. I'll never forget, you know, Greg's a great big guy, six foot four, South African rugby player. And he comes up to me and he looks me right in the eye and he goes, it's time. I go, what, what's time? He goes, I'm all in. This Jesus thing, I'm all in, it's time. And then Greg led his family to the Lord and baptized his wife and daughters and their life's been changed. 
I got the opportunity last February to hire Greg as our pastoral uh, admin assistant. Greg's sitting right there, here helping churches. Now, I want to walk through the process of what happened with him and take all the things that Jim had just talked about from Scripture because it has to translate into to real life, right? We're actually living this out. And so when we look at the process, it's very similar to what we see, what Jesus did with the disciples, what the apostles did with those they discipled, and what we saw in the early church. We see in this process that I have this responsibility, we as disciple makers, to share the gospel with those that are spiritually dead. We know out of the scripture, it says that, that, that we are dead in our transgressions, that, that those that have not received Christ are spiritually dead. I have a responsibility to share the gospel with him. Well, that wasn't some right up front, hey, here's the gospel, you need Jesus. No, it, it started out with that I shared my life with him. I invited him in. Had he and Laura over for dinner, went to one of his kids' games, invited him to my kids' games. We did life together. And as he began to ask, it was my job to be able to share new truth with him. Here's who Jesus is. Here's how he's changed my life. And as we did that, he started to see habits and things in me that caused him to ask lots of questions. And we started to connect on a different level. He gave his life to Christ. And we were doing life together. And he began to connect with God on a different level. We started doing, I was discipling him one-on-one. And he was in a men's group. And he and his wife were coming to our small group. He couldn't get enough of it. So he was connecting to God and connecting to the church family in a completely different way. And I remember early on, Greg uh, is a trained professional chef. I said, hey, Greg, I said, would you want to help us with our men's breakfast once a month? What better guy to put at the grill, right? It's like, yeah, I'd love to do that. So Greg's out there making breakfast for 60, 70 guys once a month. And, and it was amazing. I never even told him to do this. He started gathering all the boys that were there. And he brought them out, Mike's sons included. And he's teaching them all how to cook and what needs to be done. And he's spending time with them. And he's, he's sharing his, what, the little bits that he knows already with them. See, Greg was starting to understand and connect to his purpose, that I have a purpose in the kingdom, that God can use all this detail and things that I care about and that things are actually done right and done well. I care about those things. I could see it in him. So we connected him to his purpose, what God was doing in him. Began to train and equip him for ministry. Um, I brag about it. I said, I have one of the best admin assistants in the world. If there's somebody hurting, Greg calls him. When we've been on this trip, he's texting guys. He's leading his, his own group of guys now. He's pastoring people because he's been trained and equipped, but he's been given opportunity to do it. And I've released him to go care for people. And he's living it out. It's not just theory. It's not something he read in a book. And Greg's in this place now where he's discipling these guys, where he's explaining the process to them. Here's what I went through. Now, does he know all the theological things that he needs to know? Has he been to Bible college, all those things? No, but is he learning? Yes. Why? Because those groups he's leading, they're asking him questions and he needs to have answers. He's living it out. It's not just theory. 
And one of the things that happens in the church, and Jim talked about this, he alluded to it, is what I see happen in the church all the time is someone accepts Christ, they're there for a little while, and will often completely jump the whole connect section and put them right into ministry. So you're taking an infant developmentally and you're asking them to be a young adult. And we wonder why our churches are filled with people that whining and crying all the time. Well, I wasn't appreciated. Do we need to appreciate people? Yes. Well, this isn't what I want to be doing. No one cares about me. Do you see what happens when you, don't, when you do not have relationship where you're connected on a deep level to God and a deep level with other people so you can process and talk about things and you're missing that chunk in your development? It's a mess. If, if, if Greg would have came to Christ and I just left him alone and said, hey, Greg, why don't you just go do men's breakfast? Go cook. But I didn't have a relationship with him to answer questions, to talk to him. I remember early on in, in, in Greg's walk, he came and he's, he called me one night and he goes, man, I've got some, some struggles with my daughters and I got a lot of questions. What did you do in these situations? We talked it through. He calls me the next day. Wow, that works. This, 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 this Bible, he said, this Bible stuff is crazy. It really works. Yeah. Now imagine had he not had that relationship to be able to process that with me what would that have led to? I'll never forget one time I had a guy in, in my small group. This is a long time ago now. Jim had been preaching on um, marriage and family. And that specific sermon was to the husbands. And Jim preached a sermon and we had small group that week. And we're sitting in small group and this guy, he'd only been a Christian for a few months. And he's sitting in the group, and I'll never forget it. It's arms folded, and he had a look on his face like, like I mean, he was going to knock my head off. I mean, he was just angry. And, and the whole time, like, that's not normally how he was. I'm kind of watching. I'm like, whoa, something's wrong. And we group's over, and I, I went up to him. I said, Tim, I said, what's going on with you? And he goes, this Christianity thing? He goes, I, I can't do it. He goes, I'm done. He goes, I, I won't be back. I said, well, what, what happened? What's, what's the matter? He goes, well, I was at, in, in service on Sunday. And he goes, and I heard what Jim was preaching. He goes, Brandon, I can't do any of those things that he's talking about. He goes, Brandon, he goes, I, I didn't have a dad. He goes, I was sexually abused by my uncle. He goes, all the men in my life, he goes, I don't even know how to do what anything that he's talking about. He goes, I, I don't need to feel like a failure. I'm done. I said, whoa. I said, come here. I got him and I got the rest of the guys from our group. We went in the dining room. We all sat around the table. And I went around the table and I, I went to each guy. I said, Damon, tell me about what, what, what's God taught you about leading your family? Steve, John, I went around. These guys are sharing their successes and struggles. And the whole, the whole time, Tim's softening. And he leans forward on the table. I'll never forget what he said. And he goes, so let me get this right. He goes, you guys don't have it all figured out either. <laughs> I said, right, but we're learning and we're in this together. And Tim's serving the Lord. What would have happened to him 
had he not had that, those relationships there? Where would he be today? Where would his family be today? Our churches are filled with those scenarios that people have no idea how to walk these things out. They have no idea who to turn to. And, and, and they hear the truth, they read the word, and we go, and, and they come in and they go, oh, I just, I've prayed about it. I've read the script, but I don't know how to, and they're frustrated. Well, God just doesn't hear my prayers. The Bible doesn't apply to my life. I don't understand it. If we want to see the process apply, just as we see in the scriptures, the transformation and power of the gospel cannot be lived out without, without relationship, without inside that context. So when we look at this process, again, all we've tried to do is just put it into a format that we can look at it and go, okay, I see it. Is it perfect? No. But that's been kind of the heart behind any resource or anything that we've done. The stuff that's out at the table is to take, the what have we learned? What's God taught us? Put stories and examples to it so that people can go, okay, I think I can get my hands around this. Does that make sense? And really actually live this out. So that's my hope and prayer for all of you is that you're able to look at this and go, what is it that I need? Where do I need to grow? How do I help my people grow? How do I grow? What do I need? We have to know and have a process that we can put people into and understand where are they at? What do they need? What are they saying? What's their language? That's what Jesus did. He followed and listened he, he led and listened, and as they followed him, he could hear what they were saying. He could hear their struggles. He could challenge them. And, and you know this, Jesus was asked, I think it's 136 questions. And I think he answered 127 of those with a question. How would he know? It's because he was in proximity to them. Just as Paul said, we did life together. We shared the gospel with you, and we shared our very lives with you. It's in that relational environment to where we can actually live out a process. Love it. Thank you, Brandon. As you were listening to Brandon share that story, a variety of stories, specifically with Greg, when you look up at the share phase, what are some things that stood out to you in that story that he did with Greg? What are some things that you heard Brandon say he did in that phase? Yeah, he initiated the invitation. Excellent. Keep going. Yeah, he leaned into his life. Yep, invited him into something he was already doing. Excellent. At the connect phase, what are some things that stood out to you that Brandon did with Greg in the connect phase? Yeah, helped him problem solve. Connected him to a purpose. That's huge, right? I mean, a lot of people would raise their hand that they're a disciple. Very few people grab a hold of they're supposed to be a disciple maker also. True? Man, that makes a lot of difference when somebody says that when you're in a relationship with them and they, they know you care about them and then you connect that dot. 
they're like, wow, I have a purpose. Yep. What else in the connect phase? What else? Yeah, brought in others so they could get connected to Greg's story. Other people could share their story. It's huge. It's bigger than just Brandon and Greg. Other people. Yeah, yeah. Brandon recognized that Greg has abilities, like each of us do, and some unique ones. Cooking, he's got a lot, Greg's got a lot of good abilities. Cooking is really cool, right? And allowed Greg to play a part in that. And who who was Greg involved with when he was doing it? Children. That is pretty cool, right? I don't know about you, but I'm a first-generation Christian, and I'll take any edge I can get to have my kids come to know Jesus. Any edge. Does that make sense? And so I would be hugely blessed if I had that scenario. Trained to minister. What are some things started to happen in that phase? This is a little harder one, right? This is a little bit when you're like, hmm, what does that look like? Well, when you move to that phase, what we're talking about is this person, a person starts to have a kingdom mindset where they want to start giving back to the kingdom. They want, it's not all about me now. It's not 100% about me, right? When you're at that share phase, we say the infant phase, they move to that child phase. Those two phases are still a lot about me, right? Infant and child. But when you start to move to that young adult, you're starting to, you can actually start thinking about others. So at that stage, what are some things that stood out to you? And maybe nothing did. That's fine. We could have Brandon elaborate on it. What are some things that Brandon did? What were some places that Brandon started creating for Greg to play and serve? Kids? Yep. Yep, started building a toolkit. How did Greg's on staff? Do you think that just happened? You want to be on staff? Right? So you can see there was a process of Brandon creating places for Greg to serve and get in the game and be kingdom focused. And so when we talk about training to minister, it's not just on Sunday. Did you notice that wasn't a lot of usher and greeter? Did you hear that? He was doing life with them. So the places that he was creating for Greg to play was because he was doing life with Greg. Wasn't on the Sunday box only. There's nothing wrong with serving on Sunday, but oftentimes we get limited to thinking Sunday only, right? All right, cool, awesome. Jim, would you, uh, would you be up for just walking through maybe that infant child, a little bit of the age piece? I think it's huge. And then we'll open it to Q&A. Be thinking of some questions, and then we'll just kind of go when, live questions. When you think about, um, there's a reason why we set it up this way. The overall picture is share, connect, minister, disciple. That's the overall process, right? If you go to the next circle down, people go through stages of growth. These are all biblical. Scripture talks about you were dead in your sin, correct? You become alive through faith, being born again. You start, Paul said, you ought to be mature by now, but instead you're children in the faith. You're infants, right? First uh, John, my dear children, my young men, my fathers. These are spiritual stages that, that people go through. So you go through in, uh, dead, you're characterized by unbelief. And we teach our people, how do you know what, where you're supposed to be? First of all, we say it this way, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I've heard that somewhere before. If you're listening to them and, and in relationship with them, I can hear where you're at. 
That's why you don't know where a person's at just because you do all the talking. You don't have any idea what they're hearing and what they actually do with it. That's why going to a, take a class doesn't determine your maturity. You understand? It's what you do with it. So listening, dead, you get saved, you become an infant, characterized by ignorance. You become a child, characterized by you're starting to learn the language, but there's still a lot of I'll do this as long as formula thinking. Uh, you hear this. Uh, I, I, I just, Pastor Jim, I just love this church because you just feed me. You think you're giving me a compliment? You know what I'm saying in my head? Child, suck the life out of me. Now, you go through the stage of being a child, but a child learns to feed themselves and they become more sure, right? Um, um, uh, you get to the young adult stage. Now you can do some things. You can babysit, but you're not ready to be a parent yet. You're, 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 you want to serve. You're zealous. Uh, you're, you're very formulaic in your thinking, cause and effect, uh, very idealistic, right? And finally, you're a disciple maker. You're a parent, ready to, to, to actually raise some people up. So we went, all right, how do you know where they're at? You listen. They, they're different phrases from the stages. And we teach our people to do that because like in wrestling, see, in wrestling, I can watch and know where somebody's at. Remember, we were talking about an intentional leader. Can, he knows the game. He can identify where somebody's at, and he can create an environment. Well, how do you know where somebody's at? You get to know them, when, not when they say all the right words at church, but in relationship, you start to see how they act, the way they talk, right? Um, I had a guy text me last week from, his, from our group, and he said, Jim, does the Bible say anywhere that, that marriage is supposed to make you happy? And I said, nope, right? It can at times, but love is hard because it's deny yourself and that's never easy for a human, right? Always takes God to help you do it. But anyway, if their phrases tell me where he's at, he's got in his marriage life, he's got some, some boundaries, some things that are happening and he's asking questions, right? And then I know what to do. And then there's some overall characteristics that tell me where they're at so I know what to do next. Make sense? And again, you assume because they show up that you know what they are or because they've been educated with the right information, you know where they are. It's what's going on in their heart, what they do that tells you where they're at. So do you understand how it works? So the outside, share, connect, minister, disciple. Inside the spiritual phases they go through, on the inside, this is how you start to determine the characteristics so that you know what to do with them. And, and again, there's a reason why we did it this way. We want to train everybody in this because if everybody's a disciple, we want them to go, here's the overall process. Where am I in the process? How would I be able to evaluate myself? Key word for a child, by the way, most pastors are, are what I would call young adults. How do I know? They're shepherding and caring for people, but they're not reproducing. Why are most churches 90 or less? That's all they can take care of. There's a difference between shepherding and caring and babysitting people and reproducing. Many pastors are children. It's my pulpit. Many elders are children. 
I didn't like that music. Nobody visited me. I, you hear the word I enough times, you're like, child. Nothing worse than having a child lead the church. Because it puts a cap on spiritual maturity oftentimes. Of the whole group. You understand what I'm saying? All right, so we teach this to our people because we want them to know where they're at. I'm being childish. Here's, by the way, just because you're a parent doesn't mean you don't act childish. I have said this to my wife in the last month. You started it. (laughs) The difference between a child and a parent is a parent, when he acts like a child, goes, I just acted like a child. Forgive me. We can all be childish, right? But when you live in child... You live in child, that's a problem. When you visit child, that's everybody. No matter where you are. Make sense to you? So we want people to understand this. Because again, the, the true test of a church is not how many come and let me teach this. It's how many of my people at our church, have, the disciples, have we raised up to be able to go through this process with others and disciple others. and disciple. You're trying to raise up disciples. Who can, you're trying to release an army on a community who understands disciple making. Share, connect, minister, disciple. You, you, you can hear about uh, the, the, the whole concept of the gospel you preach determines the disciple you have. If you're going to be a, a Christian, you are called to be a disciple, which means eventually you're going to make fishers of men, which means you're going to go through this process. Now, let me just tell you this. That doesn't mean you're going to grow your church in numerically because most of Americans and even most church people don't want to be told they have to grow up and actually do something. They just want to visit somewhere. So this won't necessarily determine, this may shrink your church. But not because you did anything wrong. No, because you challenge people to be followers of Jesus. And I'm not just going to give you a formula so that Jesus will join your mission and make your dreams come true. No, you're going to, Die to yourself. And nobody, nobody, there's not a lot of people that want to, are willing to do that. You're not wrong because your church is getting smaller unless you're being an idiot. You're doing it, doing something. I mean, it could be that, but it's not exclusively that. The greatest disciple maker in history ended up with 12 and they all ran away. Make sense? It's good, Jim. One thing I appreciate about uh, Jim is he, uh, being a wrestler, he values, we call it the air attack and the ground attack. So the air attack is what do you verbally say? If you do a lot of sports, we call it your, your verbal game. Like your verbal game is really good. You know, I hope your ground game or your actual game is really good. Well, what's nice about this is if the air attack has to match the ground attack. And so when you're raising up disciple makers, it's really nice that when you're verbally saying things, there's a place where they can get plugged in and play. And so I'd love to uh, just, Brandon, when it, I didn't finish when it came to uh, Greg, trained minister, uh, we come disciple maker. Would you finish some of that, the difference between being in a home group? Where does home group versus home group leader and flesh that out? Yes. So when you look at the wheel, that really when you're moving from a spiritual child to a spiritual young adult, um, helping them move, we've, we've talked about, is providing places to play. So it was giving Greg opportunities to do things like lead my small group. Even though I was there, I would allow have him lead, and then we would debrief that afterwards, how'd it go? Um, and, and I'd give him feedback. We would talk about it, those kinds of things. Even in, in his parenting, like I said earlier, um, 
I would give him some things to try. We would talk about that. And, and he's, his whole mind shift and his heart shift, when you see that change, was to be able to minister to other people, to minister to the people in our group, to even to minister to his family differently, a lot more intentionally. And so it was giving him opportunities like with the men in our church. Um, Greg uh, basically planned our entire uh, men's retreat last year with some with a little bit of help from some other guys because that's his giftedness. He's incredible at it. And so rather than myself and, and the guys that had done it the year before, we gave Greg that opportunity to do it, and it was better. I have no problem admitting that. He's, he's better than I could have done. But intentionally giving those opportunities so that he could grow. And that ranges everything from doing the mechanics of like a, a men's retreat to being able to facilitate a small group. And one of the things that we, we interchange the word uh, commonly, and, and I, I think sometimes it's a mistake, it's just a habit. We'll use the term leader, but really what we mean is disciple maker. Leadership is a gifting in the church that's given. Everybody's called to make a disciple. And so that's important to go in. As, as Greg developed even leadership gifts, he's still called to be a disciple maker. Does that make sense? It's, it's two different things. You can have a person lead a small group um, and, and actually not be a disciple maker. They're not intentional. They're just, they're just leading a, a study. It, it can, it, so understanding those differences are important. And as Greg now is really becoming a spiritual parent, he is discipling guys that are starting to disciple guys. So it's, it's went from passed from me to him, to him, to the guy that he's discipling. And now it's even going beyond the guy he's discipling. See, because that transition, he's becoming a spiritual parent. Greg has his own spiritual children that he's discipling. And that's a critical piece of this is, is to understand that's the characteristic of a spiritual parent. You, you cannot call yourself a parent if you don't have kids. That's kind of weird. It's the same thing spiritually. And so when I'm watching that in Greg, and he's, he's already doing a great job because he's watched other people and he's had the opportunity to play, participate, learn, be challenged, grow, pushed, and, and be in the scriptures and learning and looking at the life of Christ at the, at the same time. That's awesome. All right, questions. What questions might you have on this particular uh, session? And just know that next session, we're gonna cover alignment which is, you know, how do you put different pieces in alignment to have a disciple, to shift your culture, to have a disciple making church? And so just, I say that. So if you ask questions on that, just know next, next session is on that topic. Yeah, great question. Since you're shepherding people, how do you help them with the right theology? Um, again, it goes back to, um, I'm in proximity. I'll use Greg as the example. I'm in proximity to him. I'm hearing what he's saying. We call it phrases from the stage. I'm listening to what he's saying. I'm asking him questions. I'm listening to understand where he's at. As I hear things that may or that may not be consistent with scripture, we're going to talk about what scripture says. We're going to go to the Bible and look at it. We've already had, I, I'm, I don't know, great, a hundred of those conversations or more. And so that's where the part with the theology, I mean, I can teach it 
to him, which that happens, but it's, it's much more in the context of our relationship and then let's go to the scriptures. So I think to make sure the theology is, is, is getting there and solid, we have to be in relationship together. And then I can know, and then I see it being lived out in his life. It, it, remember, at the same time you're discipling them, he's becoming a part of a church. And we'll talk about this in the next session, but we have our 101 membership class uh, and, and where we go through right theology. What does that mean? Um, and like, for instance, guys I'm, I deal with, I have a, a list of books on different subjects that I will hand them. And, and I, I want them to actually go read it so that we can discuss it. And then we can go, okay, uh, is what this guy's saying biblical? Where, where, would he, where would he get that scripture? I'll even give him some books. That, I mean, a lot of books I'll give will have uh, some of what I believe, but other things that I don't believe. And I'm not ashamed or afraid to let them read those things and process those things and talk through those things and work through the holes of those things. But because you're in relationship with them, you're, you're knowing where they're at and, and you've not, not only got the classes that you're teaching at the corporate level as people get in, but you're unpacking those things as people go along. And again, remember, if they're listening to Christian radio, you know, a lot of them will do that, songs, uh, different preachers. They'll go, hey, I have this all the time. Hey, do you know anything about this guy? I heard him on the radio. Yeah, I know. You don't like it? No. Why? Right? Again, you're trying to help them not you want them to be able to defend their faith and think through some things and there are some times where I have to actually go you know this isn't a salvation issue and your view show me where you get that in scripture I don't necessarily agree with your view but you do have biblical support for it there are some Christians who believe that and that's what I call a second bucket or second tier issue we can agree to disagree on so I get to talk to them about the you know there are some issues that are not salvation issues, and Christian people do have that view, and it's okay. We don't have to agree on every single thing because maturity in Christ is also learning how to deal with the differences between levels of truth. When I say that, there's truth about everything, but not every truth is as important as every other truth. Whether this stage is black is not as important as whether gravity exists. Right? You get gravity wrong, you die. You get the color wrong. It's, it, there is truth, but there's brilliant people who don't necessarily agree. And maturity in Christ is going, hey, let's make sure we stick to the, the these are the main things. These, you can have some differing views, and they're not a heretic. It's good. It's good. Instead of filling out the cards, we're just going to do raise hand. Good question. Okay. So the question is, is that how many people are you discipling at once? And then how long are you discipling them before you would release them? I see. And uh, close, that's kind of different to me. Um, I guess you'd call it like levels. Like in, in my wife and I lead a small group. And... Um, I would say that's, we're discipling them, but it's not as intensive as the five guys that I'm discipling on Tuesday morning. 
and the couple guys I'm discipling on Thursday morning, um, those are much more in, in, intensive, okay? And so as I raise guys up and send them out, I'll bring new guys in. And, and it's the same thing with when we branch small group. We, we branched a small group in the fall out of ours. That couple's leading their own group, and we brought new couples in. So, and then as far as time, uh, that, it, it's more about the fruit and the things I'm seeing and hearing. And, and so for some, it's, it's two years. And because of the issues or whatever, it takes longer. Some, it's a little shorter. Um, so I, I don't have a, there's not a like, this, this is the day. Here's one thing. I, I totally agree with everything you said. But there's one thing that I, I don't want you to see. My wife and I are leading a life group. And then the men from that life group meet with me on Wednesday morning. We go deeper. Once a month, we do a, a men in one room, women in the other. Because there's some parts of discipleship that should not be done jointly. Um, and in the life group itself, and even in the men's group, I have some guys who have been Christians for years, but they have never been intentional. They understand right things. They've never connected the dots. They grow quicker as you connect the dots. Some are brand new believers or somebody who's got addiction issues and marriage issues, and you don't put the added stress on them. It's not like a formula. It depends on the person, right? But there's one thing that I think is really important. A lot of you, if you're envisioning, I've got like eight guys in my Wednesday morning group. And my job is to individually disciple eight guys. Right? No. Yes, I'm, I'm facilitating the group. But let's say I've got a guy over here who's more mature in the work sphere of his life. He's got that in the right boundaries. There's this guy over here who doesn't have a job or doesn't keep a job or isn't being God's man in his job. As, and that's part of discipleship, right? I'm going to say, I'm going to facilitate that guy and that guy having a conversation because that guy has grown in that area. He may have a different area. I'm facilitating relationship. Pretty soon the guys are connecting with each other, growing with one another, they're, 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 they're growing as I, as I give them some foundation. It's not just a group. It's the texting. It's the coffee. It's the, all the stuff. But I'm facilitating that in these guys' relationships with some direction because they're at different stages. Does that make you see what I'm saying? Because, again, I can't individually be. Jesus didn't do it that way. Jesus had the 12, and then he had the three. Right? They're different levels, as Brandon said. But he, he would facilitate discussions and he would do different things. And, and so make sure that you understand that the only way some of these guys can grow is if they use what they've already got in help and say, I believe in you. I want you to sit down with him. Well, what would that conversation look like? Well, this is what would I do with you? You know, what do you think that looks like? And so you, you just facilitate this going on in the group. What, what I love about what Jim is saying is I shared my story last session, but I, I got to come to know the Lord at Real Life Ministries, and I got to walk through this process, so I got to go on the receiving end of it. I was the Greg, and I was asked in our group, I think you can be in small groups and not make any disciples, so I don't think small groups just spits out disciples, right? I was a business guy. I was in several small groups, had nothing to do with Christianity. Okay, so a small group isn't the answer, right? It's just a potential, a potential environment where disciples may or may not be made, 
Okay, so just throwing people in a home group, right? If we're not saying home group is the answer, we're saying Jesus created a relational environment and that's what we want to do, right? So when I was in, in my home group, I got given little tasks like what Jim is saying. Like, hey, Luke, would you pray for that person? Would you be willing to pray for them? Luke, would you be willing to call them because of what took place during that group time? And then I may or may not step up. And as I start to step up, I have somebody like Jim, I could, he can check on me right? How am I doing with that little, little, little task? And so it's huge because we would do things outside a home group, right? Do activities and you just get to know people and you can see them start to spiritually grow and you get to hear how maybe the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the fruit in my life is starting to increase. It's really cool. Then you can give them more and more and more things to do, right? And so I think that's huge when we talk about the disciple making process. Here's what we did do um, we get so many questions. If if you take this booklet on the very last page here, the back of this, the back of this. So we, this right here is a two-day intensive where we'll spend 16 hours. Right now you're sitting at these tables. We will spend 16 hours with you and a small group because we want to model it. We're not going to talk at you from the stage. It's going to be dialogue in a small setting. We intentionally built that process to walk through these, each one of these components, but model them done. We want to model everything we just said done. So if you're interested in going in this direction, I would encourage you to sign up for that. We limit it to a certain number of people because we bring in about 20 different facilitators who are adamantly passionate about making disciples to be your facilitator. We put two of them in your group and they spend 16 hours with you. And they're from different churches, from different contexts, but they're very passionate about making disciples and they've had to shift their church. So if you're interested in that, I would encourage you to, to, to check that out. And if you want us to call you, you have the next steps card, we'll call you. And, and if you have any questions about it, we'll answer them. And so I say that because we get so many questions in this session, it's really hard for us to get to them all, but we will definitely get them addressed in 16 hours worth. And so uh, I want to mention that. If you have any interest in a church planter boot camp, if you say, hey, Brandon, I really love hearing your story, planting a church, really like to know more about that in here. You have information on that boot camp. And the last thing we have in there is the, when you think of a coaching, um, both Jim, Brandon, we have a variety of churches in the network that are passionate about coaching, helping you make this shift. So whether you're a senior pastor, executive, associate, men's, women's, we'll put you in a relational environment, coaching call. It'll be a Zoom call. We limit it to about five people on that call. So it's real relational. And any questions you have, okay, how do I do this? How do I do that? How do I, and we're stronger together. So inside of that coaching environment, we call it a micro network people will start walking stuff out and you'll go, man, that's a great idea. And so we're a lot stronger if we try not to do it alone. So I'd encourage you to not do it alone. All right. Um, Mark, would you come up here for a quick second? So this is Mark Messick. He is at, uh, from a church in Alabama called uh, the Redemption Church. And we asked Mark, hey, Mark, would you come onto our team? And would you be willing to reach out? We have a heart to help. If you heard some of my story, I retired early on. Um, and so for me, I'm all in for the kingdom and I'm all in to help. I have a heart to help pastors and ministers and so does Mark. And so I said, Mark, why would you come onto the team and why would you be willing to reach out to these people, call them and help them? Why would you do that? About, uh, about seven years ago, hello, 
about seven, now you're awake. About seven years ago, I, I might be like uh, many of you that were, you were at a church. Uh, we had Sunday school. Um, I shifted into small groups. They were just a smaller form of dysfunction than Sunday school. And so then, then uh, but then I came across the RDN, the Relational Discipleship Network, attended a DS1 to the most profound days of my life. And then I left there, but then I began to be coached by other people who are three or four or five years ahead of me in the process and helped me become a, a disciple maker myself, helped me grow in equipping my team to be disciple makers, and then create a culture within our church of relational disciple making. So I'm passionate about helping you um, grow and, and shift your church into a culture of disciple making. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you being here. If you fill out that uh, card, he wants to call you, great. If you don't fill it out, we're not going to call you. Just leave it on the table. Our next session is on alignment. We're going to walk through philosophical alignment, theological, relational, and organizational. All those being aligned to hit the target of being a disciple-making church and a disciple-making ministry. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you guys. That's it for today's episode. Check out the free visual introduction for Brandon Gindon's book on disciple-making culture. Go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple-Making Culture Visual Introduction. Thanks for listening.